Look at the Boga Honey Podcast. That's why I, I tried not to have camps on my bow. I don't have to deal with slippage or anything Shut like up. that. You just put a new string on there, you're fine. What is Boga? But seriously, that's the dumbest thing it ever. Re- it go- I am all about Just strap it to your pack. Really appreciate the fact that you're from Michigan and not Georgia. You don't want to be the next Mark Kenyon. No. I'm a shit show. <laughs> that's, that spot's taken. You can see how pathetic Jared's face is right now. <laughs> because that's how it looked. It was just like, is this good enough? Before we jump into this episode, we have to thank a few of our partners that help make this podcast possible. First up is First Light. Great camo, fusion, cypher. You get to pick your option, or you can go that new ash gray color. Uh, They make fantastic merino. They make great stuff for elk hunting, great stuff for hunting down south, great stuff for deer hunting by us. Uh, So we rock it all year long. We love it. Check it out, firstlight.com. If you guys are in search of a new pack, then you guys have to check out the Seek Outside Short Tail. It's designed to cover three main uses, which are the western big game hunts, it's tree sand friendly, and it's great for backpacking long trails. And it can pack out close to 200 pounds. You could carry out a Jared. You can carry out one of me if you use want. The, use the promo code BOGA, all caps, for 5% off your order. Jared's sold separately. If you're looking to get into the tree saddle game this year, then you guys need to check out Trophy Line. These guys have been around since the 1960s, and they've been doing it ever since. We're going to be rocking their Ambush Light tree saddles this year. They're lightweight, they're comfy, and they're extremely easy to use for that beginner. Head over to their website and use the promo code BOGAHUNTING10 for 10% off your order. If you're looking for a quality, handmade, top-of-the-line traditional bow, look no further than Bivouac Bow Company. Jim and Georgia there are excellent boyers, handmade, custom. They are precise and they make fantastic shooting bows. If you're looking for a great bow, check them out, bivouacbowco.com. So if you guys are like me and you find that buying new arrows can be completely cumbersome and annoying where you have to go to the bow shop and have them cut your arrows and glue in the inserts then you guys need to check out vector custom shop all of their arrows are purpose built meaning they're going to take your draw weight your draw length and a bunch of other specs that you want and they're going to actually make the arrow for you and then send it to you and they have direct to consumer prices so check these guys out vectorcustomshop.com there are a lot of good apps out there but if you're a hunter and you're looking for a do-it-all app, check out HuntWise. First of all, they have GPS software that tells you where you are, where boundaries are, if you, you can share locations. But it's also a, a community of hunters where you can all share what you're experiencing. We'll post there pretty regularly. Actually, that is where I have my only social media account. So if you want to see what's going on in my mind, go to HuntWise and check us out. All right. So thank you for um, tuning in to another episode with us. We are recording uh, separately, Jared and I, again today due to the COVID stay-at-home order. So Jared is, uh, I'm guessing, sitting in his basement. Yes, I am. Nice. And I'm in the uh, sound studio. And so today we have Scott on the phone. Scott, you want to uh, introduce yourself? Sure. Uh, I'm Scott Bakken. I'm with HHA Sports. Um, I'm the Director of Sales and Marketing and uh happy to be on on board tonight we're happy to have you so far you know i was telling you this before the podcast but we've been doing kind of a series of introductory stuff for people that want to get into our 
starting back at the beginning of the year, you know, picking a bow, picking arrows, tuning and, and everything else. And due to COVID and, and things like that, some of our, actually, you're going to be airing during turkey season. So you were supposed to, this episode was supposed to go out beforehand, but you're going to be kind of doing our, it's going to be a little mixed up, but you know what? People will figure it out. Deal with um, it. <laughs> and so we wanted you to on to, to talk some uh, bow site setups and stuff and figured, you know, you working at HHA would be the perfect kind of guy for that. Sure. So background though before you even get into that tell us a little bit about who you are uh how long you've been hunting where do you live uh, what's your hunting experience and, and stuff look like uh, so far yeah so um i live born and raised uh, in wisconsin currently i live in central wisconsin in a little town called wisconsin rapids uh, we're about an hour and a half northeast of, of madison that's actually where the company is based out of so um you know growing up um i actually did not come from a hunting family. Uh, my dad wasn't a hunter. My mom, you know, uh, she, she had like brothers and her dad like rabbit hunted and stuff, but nothing, okay. nothing serious. But, uh, I, I actually just kind of, I was a self starter. I still remember the day I was probably like five years old or something like that. And, um, yep. I saw, I saw one of the first Robin Hood movies. Oh yeah. And, uh, yep. <laughs> I, I literally, I thought that was like the most badass thing ever with this guy running around, just like taking people out with a bow and arrow. I, I don't know if it was that day that like that week, let's say, I remember I ran to the woods in our backyard and I started hacking down this tree and I tried to make my, my own bow and arrow. And then, uh, a couple years down the road, my aunt married a, a guy that was a big bow hunter. And so obviously I like worshiped that guy and yeah, that right. just uh, that just fueled my like obsession with archery. So I mean, ever since I was a little kid, I've I've always been into hunting and um, and archery and uh, and whatnot. So that's literally, I mean, all through uh, high school and college and and so forth. Um, all I've done is is archery. Um, I've, you know, I have a few part time jobs that weren't archery related, but uh, yeah. pretty much my whole career has just been always uh, archery focused. So. Um, Would you say your your time, you know, because of archery, you basically it kept you off the streets and you know out of trouble? <laughs> um, you know, honestly, uh, yeah. You, you know, it, it sounds like kind of cliche, but uh, right. I was not uh, growing up. I was a different kid. Uh, I never really fit in anywhere. Um, Neither so, did like, James. My group, so, yeah, dude. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Hey, I turned out all right, so it's not the yeah, thing. Fine. But, yeah, uh, whatever. But yeah, so I mean, you know, everybody like you know, middle school, high school, you know, those are just brutal years. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, my, my entire child, like childhood, I never really fit in anywhere, and uh, so uh, the outdoors was always my kind of like escape. You know, if I, if I had a bad day at school or whatever, like I would ride my bike down the road. There's, I was lucky. There's a lake right down the road from my parents' house when yeah. I was a kid, and you know, I'd go sit on the bank and fish and, you know, the outdoors was always like where I felt most comfortable. And, you know, when I got into high school, kind of started hanging out with the wrong group of kids and got into some, uh, some bad stuff, uh, there that, uh, you know, I was very lucky it didn't end worse than it did. But yeah, I mean, I remember, you know, I remember my senior year and, uh, got in some pretty bad trouble and it was kind of like, all right, like I need to make some decisions here and um i'll never forget my dad took me up to uh um, we had a a family cabin while i was still doing uh, northern wisconsin he took me up there for a week and uh we just you know hung out and 
you know, went grouse hunting and just hung out in the woods. I remember just saying, you know what, like, what the hell am I doing? Like, man, this, that's, you know, back, back home, that's not me. That's not, this is what I enjoy. And so I, you know, I wouldn't say it necessarily like saved me, but it right. definitely, it was a wake up call that, you know, yeah. the outdoors was always, that's who I was. All this other crap that I was doing was not, that was not me. I did it more because I wanted people to like me and all kinds sure. of stuff. So yeah, I, I definitely would say like, you know, it's definitely put me on a better path in life. I guess. Absolutely. I yeah. Well, th- those um, little uh, trips up North, we like to call them man baths. Yeah. We call them man baths. Yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah uh, exactly. Yeah. It's just exactly. a bunch of dudes, you know, bathing. No, it's, <laughs> it's, it, it, it's critical. I mean, there's, you figure some, serious stuff uh, when it, you know that's the same thing in my family if you need to figure something pretty serious up out you head up to the cottage up north uh, spend some time in the woods fish and shoot at stuff and you know yeah that's that's a good thing so that's pretty cool to hear when you were a kid where are you getting your information from like, like who was teaching you how to do archery mm-hmm. good question if, you, if your family's not kind of into it honestly you know i just i i kind of learned on my own um, I, yeah. like as far as like learning, you know, the, the fundamentals, I guess it wasn't until my, I actually got my dad into archery. Um, he picked really? up the bow because I was so into it and it was something we could do together. And so I, I learned a lot from him and from my uncle, especially when it came, I learned a lot about bow hunting, like the actual, like hunting side of things for my uncle. Yeah. And then a lot of the, the fundamentals and stuff like that, I learned along with my dad, you know, as he learned that he would teach me, but you know, it, it's funny. We, uh, my uncle gives me, he, he owned a small archery company. Um, he sold it recently, but that's how I got into the industry. Um, oh, he tells a story. He tells a story all the time about how obnoxious I was because anytime we were together, I would just drill him and be like, Hey, you know, what do you think about the new real true camera that came out? What do you think about this new bow that came out? And <laughs> he, had, he, had, he had no clue what the hell I was talking about, but it, I was just, I was like a sponge. And that's, I think that's just a character, a characteristic of me is I am a sponge and I absorb stuff. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, when I was a kid, I was reading every hunting magazine, like oh, every yeah. gas station we stopped at every grocery store. I had to buy the latest, you know, bow hunting magazine or whatever it was. And I would literally just stare at that thing forever. And, um, you know, it was just, that was always my passion. You know, school was never my thing. I was never, a, you know, I was a mediocre, you know, athlete. I was a terrible student, you know, like just, it was not my thing. I hated school. Um, yeah. but, you know, the hunting and outdoors were always my, that was always my thing. So yeah, I just, you know, a lot of, a lot of the information I got organically, but then, you know, I had my dad and my uncle as mentors and then, you know, our local archery shop. I remember like I would, that was like my hangout and my dad would just yeah. take me there and I, I would just sit on a stool and just listen to all the guys, you know, I probably learned a lot of stuff I shouldn't have. Right. But, sure. <laughs> Good and bad. Age yeah. I was, but uh, that's where I wanted to be. So yeah, it's kind of a cool, uh, you know, just kind of a cool, uh, know childhood um, experiencing all that so yeah now i gotta ask what was your go what was your magazine of choice mm-hmm. you know growing up out if it was i'm just gonna make a guess and tell me if i'm wrong wrong or right i figure and you're based in wisconsin which means you're a whitetail guy bow hunter mine would uh, my guess would be north american whitetail but let me know if that's right or wrong i um probably because um I remember um, getting all their like swags, like their yeah, sure. stuff. Yeah, right. That's why I said. And, yeah. uh, and I, my, I, 
like I had stickers all over my room and stuff. That's the one <laughs> sticker I, I like distinctly remember and I'll never forget. Yeah. <laughs> I was probably 10 years old and they were doing like a membership drive type thing. And this yeah. dude called and he, and he asked for me and I was like, holy crap, some dude's asking for me. And, uh, so I get on the phone and he's, uh, he's like, you want a trip, uh, to Texas white to hunting. What? And so I'm 10, I'm 10. And I was like, no, no freaking way. Like, that's awesome. He's like, yeah, congrats buddy. You know? So, like, here's what I need you to do. And I was like, well, I got to ask my mom first. And he's like, what? I'm like, yeah, I got to ask my mom first. Make sure okay. And the guy's like, how old are you? I said, I'm 10. And the guy, I mean, I've never had, wow. I mean, at 10, I've never had somebody flip out on me like that bad. I mean, I just wasted 20 minutes of a dude's time. Oh, and hilarious. He, he thought I was older, you know, than I was. And, uh, but yeah, that like a low thing. voice here, or we just have like a very mature demeanor on the phone. Uh, <laughs> as a kid, I uh, I went through this really weird like where I was a late bloomer. Mm-hmm. You know, I was always the smallest, smallest kid. I mean, I think like my my uh, freshman year of uh, high school, I I think I barely weighed a hundred pounds. Like I was always a small dude, and uh, but I went through like this phase where I had like, this really raspy like voice where like my body just couldn't decide whether I was going to hit puberty <laughs> or not. So it's just like, well, we'll just chill here in this really awkward mm-hmm. phase. And it was awful. I hated it. So I, it maybe it was around that time or something. I don't know. That or it was just, you know, back then, who knows, it was probably still, you know, dial up phone service and really right. happy reception right. or something. <laughs> Flip phones. So you, didn't get to go to Texas. you didn't get to go to Texas? No. No, and I'm pretty sure my subscription to North American uh, Hunter ended that day too. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> <laughs> it's heartbreaking. Yeah, yeah. But I remember I, I was like in tears because you know this guy was just screaming at me, and I wasn't going to get to go to Texas, and you know because when you're 10, like you know traveling out of state, and I, I mean legally I couldn't even hunt yet. Um, right. So it was just like this, you know, Cinderella moment that just gets ripped away from you. But whatever, <laughs> screw that dude. Some ketchup soup. He's a guy that's behind Corona guaranteed. Yeah. Yeah. Somewhere. yeah. Um, so you grew up doing that. Now, now are you, I would assume most of your life whitetail. Is that like primarily what you're still hunting these days? No, but uh, yeah. So uh, my entire like young adult and adult life, it was all whitetail. Um, I was very fortunate. Um, I had a place to hunt. Um, so I didn't have to really, um, I was spoiled. We, we had the, the family cabin. Um, it was quite a, quite a few private acres. So I never went through the whole, you know, trying to find property thing. Um, I really didn't experience that until I got into, uh, like high school, um, looking for uh, places to turkey hunt because at the time we didn't have turkeys that far north in Wisconsin. Uh, right. Um, which now, yeah. which now, I mean, they're freaking everywhere. But uh, <laughs> so yeah, no, I grew up, uh, I grew up whitetail hunting, um, and and pretty much just in Wisconsin. Um, I didn't do my first out of state hunt until I was in college. Um, yeah. Found out that I had an aunt and uncle that because uh, both my parents are from Illinois, but again, didn't you know, they didn't grow up in farming or, or hunting families. So, um, but I found out I had an aunt and uncle that lived in West central Illinois in, um, uh, uh, I believe it was, it was Pike County. Mm. Oh, and, yeah. Well, so, yeah. So all of a sudden, like, I know what Pike County is at yeah. that point. Um, growing up, I did not. And I'm like, wait, you know, interior uncle Larry have property in Pike County, Illinois. I'm like, what the F? Like, how did I <laughs> yeah. not know about this? 
So I'll never forget, like, and I, I wasn't very close with them growing up, but I became close with them really quick. Oh, yeah. yeah. And uh, so that was my first <laughs> That was my first out-of-state uh, uh, deer hunt, and it was awesome. Um, had a great time, shot a pretty decent buck. And uh, then uh, I, I'm trying to think. It probably wasn't up until, honestly, probably eight or nine years ago, I kind of realized that, you know, there's a lot of other opportunities out there for, you know, different species, uh, different experiences and stuff. So, I mean, I, I, whitetail is still my passion, but... Pretty much uh, now, I, I spend most of my fall traveling out of state, and then uh, you know, obviously November, I hit pretty hard for whitetails. Yeah. So you're, you're so one benefit of you know being a, a guy that works for you know basically a hunting company. Uh, do you get a lot of time off in the fall, or what does that look like? It's uh, it it all depends. The one, the biggest advantage to working for a hunting company is that we're we're all hunters. So if you want to call and quote unquote sick a couple of days during the rut, like nobody's going to question you. Yeah, um, right. <laughs> but there, there is this uh, like big misconception that because like you're in the hunting industry that all you do is hunt, and that's uh, that's so far from the truth. Especially like I mean, it, it gets it, honestly, I think it gets worse and worse every year as far as like the timelines of things. Because like come November, I mean we're I mean that's one of our busiest months because we're working on new catalog, we're working on new product, we're working on new packaging, like there's all this yeah. stuff going on. But I'm not going to sit here and, and, you know, BS and be like, I, I hunt quite a bit. And, uh, you know, like September, I'll take, you know, two, three weeks off in September. And um, actually, yeah. this will be my third year, but I started guiding in Alaska. So September, oh, really? is my, September is my big month. I pretty much bank all my vacation for September. And, I mean, there's there's been years where I've been gone the whole month of September. So Wow. Um yeah. So yeah, I mean, I mean, it's like I said, it's if there's work that needs to be done, like you know, that's priority. But we're also, I mean, we we are able to uh, you know get out and spend time in the woods. So oh, that's awesome. So as you're getting your stuff ready for the year, um, let's talk through let's talk through sites, right? You work for um, you work for HHA, a big site company. Walks us through like the so somebody calls in and says, "I need a site," right? How would you go about recommending or helping them? and which type of site that they should go with a lot of it just comes down to um i mean obviously the biggest thing is budget um because right. i mean our sites range from entry level all the way up to i mean we have sites that are pushing the 500 dollars mark so budget is obviously something is you know one of the first things but really it's you know you can almost eliminate that just by asking what are they going to be using it for you know, if it's a if it's a weekend warrior, you know, located here in like the Midwest where yeah. your shots are going to be close, you know, you don't really need the long range capabilities or the long range precision. You know, you can eliminate seventy five percent of our of our product offering. So it's I mean that's the big thing is what are you going to be doing? What are you going to be using for? Like, are you white tailing in the Midwest? Do you have an elk hunt planned out west? You know, where what's what's the purpose? Um, yeah. And then you kind of figure out what their what their setup is too. You know, are they are they running like the brand new Matthew that just came out, or are they running a bow that's 15 years old? And really, that that just helps you kind of like distinguish what price range you know to yeah. put them in. Um, right. And serious, you know, from our willingness to spend on hunting stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, and that, but also, um, you know, it, and it's not even that. It, it's just you know somebody that's shooting you know a 20 year old bow. Yeah. Whether they're shooting a $150 site or a $300 site, they're going to shoot the same. So right. <laughs> they really don't need to spend $300 when it's really not going to benefit them. I mean, granted, like, I'd rather they spend $300, but, right. like, if it's not going to benefit them, then there's just no, 
you know, there's just no value there. But, you know, and then also, you know, their their experience level and stuff. I mean, really, all of our sites are pretty black and white. I mean, they're all very, very simple and easy to site in. So, yeah. uh, you know, it's never really an issue. But that that's the big thing is, is what's, you know, what's going to be your main your main use. Yeah, yeah that's, that's, a, that's kind of a good point. For a guy who, yeah, you can just kind of tell the seriousness of a guy, a guy that's, you know, going to be um, able to spend money. Like like you said, if you have a, a $200 bow, a $500 site, it doesn't, doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But say, say you find out this guy's got a, a top-of-the-line bow or, or a decent bow, and, you know, maybe is willing to, uh, maybe the guy who's planning an out-of-state hunt in the next year or so and wants the, you know, the option to, to have, like, a, a higher-end, maybe a, a site set up for shooting farther out. You know, you, I think, I feel like a lot of guys, even around Michigan, uh, where we are, will get that top-end site, even if they don't have a plan, a trip plan for going out west, just because you got to have the next best thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and, well, and a lot of it comes down to, too, like, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's definitely one thing. I mean, that's, especially as guys, like, we all fall yeah. in that trap, right? Like, it's a competition. Like, you can have the better equipment. But, uh, you know, there is, I, I can honestly say, like, with our product offerings, like, the more money you spend, I'm not necessarily going to say the more accurate you're going to be, but the more precise you're going to be. So, the yeah. more precise you're going to be then can make you a better shooter. And so, that's that's kind of, like, you know, a qualifying question, too, is, you know, like, again, you know, what's our sub? So you got the new bow, you know, uh, so you hunt whitetail in Michigan, but you're going to go chase elk in Colorado. Okay, are you going to run the exact same setup that you're running back home, or are you going to be shooting different arrows? Because that, you know, there's a site for that, right? That's our top right. site, which is now called the Tetra Max with interchangeable yardage wheels. Like, you know, if you travel a ton, maybe you want to look into, you know, upping the ante and going with, like, a dovetail system so you can easily, yeah. you know, detach the site, you know, and stuff like that. So there's definitely a lot of questions that could be asked. And, you know, then it comes down to what pin size do you want? What skull policy yeah. size do you want? But, you know, a lot of that can just be figured out. And, and that's, you know, that's the uh, most people that we talk to. They already have, like, a system that they like. They're just looking to either upgrade or something like that. So, you know, it, usually you can you can get down to, uh, you know, a specific site. Um, yeah. But a lot, of, a lot of questions are, you know, they want to know the difference. You know, why why does this site, this price, and that site, you know, $150 more? And then, you know, a lot of it, they, they make up their mind usually just right there. Right, exactly. That. So the big debate for uh, for sites is multiple pin versus the single pin. And right? fix, yep. fixed versus uh, adjustable. Yeah, exactly. Fixed, multi-pin, multi-pin, single, adjustable, or maybe even the, the adjustable multi-pin. When people are debating this, like what, what's your what's the advice that you you would give to them? So I'm actually uh, I'm a terrible person to ask that question to because I am so um, single pin biased. You it's almost impossible to convince me to shoot a, a multiple pin. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like I said, I'm I'm like a terrible person. Like when everybody asks me my opinion, I'll always try to push them towards a single pin. But mm, yeah, obviously we offer both you know, both, uh, both sites. So it, you know, at the end of the day, I, I don't care, you know, it's whatever people are going to be the most comfortable with and, and, uh, feel the most accurate with. But my, my biggest argument is, is with a single pin, you cannot argue or deny the fact that you are more accurate with a single pin versus a yeah, right. pin. Exactly. I definitely think, you know, especially as I've gotten more and more, um, experience with multiple pins, there's definitely situations where I could be like, yeah, okay, I, I can understand that, you know what I mean? And, uh, yeah. you know, I, I actually love that topic. And, like, when we go to a lot of the Western shoots and stuff, because that's obviously the West is very, very multiple pin mover 
dominant. Are they? Yeah. Is uh, yeah. Oh yeah. Is you know that I I get I get the thought process like, but that thought process is also very complicated to me. Right. Um, and one thing I will say is that if you are going to run a single pin, like it does take practice, right? And it, and if you're not used to it, it's gonna it's gonna be awkward. But I mean that's anything, right? Like sure, anything new is gonna be awkward at first, but. So my biggest argument is is you're, you're the most accurate with a single pin, and the reason that is is any like experienced archer or any experienced shotgun shooter or handgun shooter will always tell you focus on the target, not the sight. So right, you know, like I grew up, you know, shooting trap leagues and stuff like that when I was a kid, and they you always watched, like you always looked where you wanted to where you wanted to shoot, right, and then the barrel just followed. And it yeah. ended up there. Well, it's the exact same thing with archery, or even with like like handguns. Yeah. Like you don't you don't line the front bead up with the rear sight. You look through the rear sight and then just focus on the target. And right. your hands automatically just end up there. Well, it's the same thing with a single pin sight on a bow. If you're focusing on the target, all of your energy is focused on the target. So yeah. the pin will automatically just end up there. You're not. You know, every every shooter has what we call their shooter signature, which is you're floating. And yeah. if you're just focusing on the target, you're not worried about your signature. Like the the pin just kind of naturally hovering around, like where you're where you're focusing. Yep. Where with a multiple pin, let's say you're shooting a four pin. Now you're trying to focus on the target, but then you're also trying to focus on what pin you're supposed to use. Right. You're supposed to right. use your third pin. You're like, all right, one, two, three. There's my third pin, and it's physically impossible for your brain to focus on the target and the pin at the exact same time because you're using both sides of your brain. Yeah. And so you're wasting energy trying to switch between focal points. So that's my big thing is, is with a single pin, you're, you're, you're dedicating all of your energy focusing on the target. So you're concentrating mm-hmm. on where you want to hit. Um, so when it comes to like this, like the biggest you know scenario we get is like, well, what if, you have your sight set at 20 yards and a deer, you know, a buck comes in dog and a doe and something happens and he spooks back to 40. You don't have time to adjust your sight. And it's like, well, first of all, if you shoot enough, you know, your setup and right. you know, the drop between 20 and 40. And nowadays with most setups, that drop is super like, it's not it, that big. It's super insignificant. I mean, it's, it's, you're talking a couple inches and granted, I mean, there's all these other scenarios that come into play, but I mean, just for argument's sake. So you should know the difference. You should know what your bow does from 20 to 40. So you compensate for it. Right. Right. And does that happen? Yes. Is it a possibility? Yes. But how often does that happen? You know what right. I mean? Like we tend to over analyze a lot of things and I'm right. definitely guilty. of that. Like I overthink everything, but so there's actually, there's this test you can do and I didn't develop it. I just, I just tried it with a bow, but it's called, uh, finding your maximum point blank, blank range yep. and snipers do it to set their scopes where they can engage multiple targets without making any adjustments. So in a nutshell, it's figuring out where to set your single pin adjustable site to where you can cover the most yardages without having yep. to touch it. So we have a whole YouTube um, video on this test. If, if you go to our, our YouTube page, it, there's literally a video called finding your maximum point blank range. And unfortunately it's me doing the video. So people have to tolerate <laughs> me talking, but, uh, it was super cool, uh, to do. It's a lot of shooting, but in the end you literally see what your bow does at every yardage with your yeah. sight set at different yardages. So like when I did the test, I found out that at 40 yards, 
with my sights set at 40 yards, I can shoot from five to 53 yards without ever touching it. And yeah. all I'm doing is if it's less than 40, I just hold a little low. If it's older, over 40, I just hold a little high. Yeah. And like for me, I'm a very visual person. So like, it's easy for me to envision holdover rather than count. Right. And so let's say like size target, like you're like, or like what you know, when the average kill zone on the white tail is like seven to eight inches, right? It's pretty great, right. you know? Yeah. But then like on an elk or moose or whatever, I mean, now you just tripled that kill zone. So like the difference is you're not, you're not looking for like a 12 ring, like, and as a hunter, like, I don't care if I 12 ring them. I just want to put an arrow. I just want it to be a clean killing shot. I don't care if it's high lungs, low lungs, back lungs, whatever. As long as it's, it's a good, you know, killing shot. That's, that's like where the difference kind of comes in. So like, yeah. you know, like on an elk size target, you're now your margin of error. Just, I mean, it's, it's substantially larger because you have a bigger target. So now like, cause that's like the biggest like scenario we get played, like especially with Western hunters is, you know, they're, they have, they got an elk bugle in and stuff and they don't know where yeah. he's going to come through. And they think he's going to come out at 30, but also he's at 60. And I'm like, well, in that scenario, first of all, if it's 60 yards, like I'm not just going to take a, a Hail Mary shot. Like I'm probably going to get the exact range. And if I can adjust, yeah. I will. Right. Or if I do have to make judgment on the fly, like yeah. I said, I'll have my sight set at 40. And I know, I know, I know with my sight set at 40, I know exactly where I need to hold at like that 50 to 60 yard range. Yeah. And if I'm a little high or a little low, like I got, I mean, you have all that, that you got margin that here. Yeah. So it, it's a different shooting a single pin versus a multiple pin. It's a different mindset, but it's also, you are more accurate because of it. It just, I don't just pass in my sight every time. Like yeah. I'll do that to warm up, but then I'll go and I'll set my sight at 40 and I'll shoot five, you know, 15, mm-hmm. 45, and I'll practice those different yardages without adjusting my sight. So, like I said, in the end, if, if you're more comfortable with a multiple pin, by all means, like, we got those. But but you're also a total I, idiot if you do it. No, we're kidding. That's, it's allowed. Jared shoots multiple pins. Don't you, Jared? Yeah, I just got a multi-pin adjustable. How many, what do you shoot? But it's adjustable, and you, I get the idea behind the multi-pin adjustable, I guess. Um, and I can see the... I can see I can see the, the argument for it, but I was I was always a single pin guy. So what you you have multiple pins or do you three? I have three pins, um, and I guess it's mainly because I've always shot a fixed uh, multi pin sight before. So it, yeah. I guess it's more of a comfort thing for right now. I'm always open to try different things, but this year, yeah, I'll be shooting a three pin adjustable. So I'll have my yeah. tw- my twenty, thirty, forty, and then I'm going to set it up so that when I'm adjusting it, it's forty plus if I have to. Right. You know. No, if it's an HHA, I don't care. I don't care what you're shooting, so have at it. Word. Yeah, and, yeah, <laughs> I, I can, like, I can totally, yeah, I totally, I get it. I like the, the idea of, uh, like, if you're used to it, go with it. Because I found, I shot, I've shot single pin for a long time, and I tried to go back one time to shoot a multiple pin but adjustable, and I was, I always just used the top pin accidentally. I could not get my brain to switch back to remembering to use another pin he's making stuff so, up now so, for all the deer he missed yeah yeah right this is just <laughs> yeah. an excuse shot with the top yeah, pin again you, you got you gotta have your box of excuses but uh, you know and i will that's my, <laughs> that's mine <laughs> i will say after after that long rant and i can wrap my head around like a multiple pin like a three pin mm-hmm. mover mm-hmm. especially if you're used to multiple pins but like if i was going to shoot a multiple pin mover 
I would have like 20, 40, 60 as my three pins just because the gaps, hmm. I mean, between 20 and 40, your gaps aren't going to be that different than 40 and no. 60. Mm-hmm. It's not going to be that significant. So at least you're spreading your pins out a little bit. Um, but instead of having my bottom pin as my aiming pin, I would set my top pin as my aiming pin. And the reason I would do that is because then I could run it as a multiple pin or I could shoot it like a single pin where, like, let's I, say I like that. on one of our sites, you know, like on our Tetra or Tetra Max, we have a sight tape that goes from 20 to 100. So if you have your three pins set, let's say 20, 40, 60, anything, you use your entire yardage tape from 20 to 100. And let's say you're at a 3D shoot and it's 47 yards to the target. Yeah. So you could gap shoot your 20, your 40 and 60, or you could aim with your top pin and dial to the exact yardage and shoot it like a single so you're taking what I'm, what I plan on doing, and just kind of doing it in reverse. Yeah, exactly. Because yeah. the reason you do that is then, say you want to move yours to forty, your top into forty, then it's you know the set markers for the next three as well. So it could be yeah. like forty or you know forty, sixty, a hundred, whatever. You know, right? And that's what we say all the time. Like that's the beautiful thing about, and, and I will, I will, I will say this hundred percent honestly. Even though I'm a hardcore singleton person. The, the beauty with a multiple mover is there is literally, I mean, there's a plethora of different ways that you can set that thing up. Oh, like, yeah. yeah. I've, I've literally, I've, I've heard of probably 50 different ways people have, have set their multiple pin movers up. Yep. I think a lot of them are very, very complicated and don't make sense to me. But <laughs> that is the beauty is that you have lots of options, but that's yep. also the options that it can get confusing very fast. And that's one thing that always blows my mind is, how many calls we get from people that buy a multiple tin mover and then they call us and like, how do, how the hell do I set this thing up? And I'm like, well, you don't know how to use it. Why'd you buy it? You know right. what I mean? But I guess, you know, that's, it's trying something new, right? Like it's yeah. new experience. So you learn. So there's very simple ways, which it sounds like, you know, Jared, you know, is, is doing it in one of the basic ways. I would do it the other basic way of using my top pin. Yeah. Um, I might that, end up I mean, doing that. You, you might just talk to me into it. I think it's smart, dude. I, so actually, Scott, now I got to ask you. We talked multi-pin, single-pin. When are you guys going to come out with an instinctive archery like sight that I can use? In, uh, for like a trad bow or something? I'm kidding. Jimmy? No, I'm kidding. There's no sight for instinctive. <laughs> I'm just kidding. What would that be? It'd be nothing. You can tell. Well, empty space, dude. I mean, uh, our one uh, one of our owners, he's a he's a big trad guy, yeah. and uh, you trust me, he um. <laughs> he wants nothing more than to come out with a some sort of aiming device for a, a recurve. Yeah. And I was like, if you want to do it, you sell it then because I don't, uh, the day I master a compound, I'll, uh, I'll switch to, uh, you know, a trad bow or something like that. But yeah, I'm, I'm not touching that right now. <laughs> you know, and when the, the moment you guys come out with uh, an aiming device for it's a, a recurve like bow, a trad bow. Or like a hollow, like a like a hollow site or something like that. Yeah, I'm saying I will be your first customer. You just let me know when that thing's coming out. I think our next site's just going to be like a like an instinctive like it's like a, a retina like displays wherever yeah. your eye looks. That's where the yeah. that's where the site goes. <laughs> I like that like, like lasers. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's hilarious. But, you know, um, if you could actually do it, I would actually envision it being like the emperor's new clothes story. You know how you just tell someone that they have a new site on their bow and you can't actually yeah. see it. You can sell that. <laughs> yeah. Huckleberry Finn situation. So the other big topic is, so we talked pin, multiple pins versus single pins. Pin size. Generally there are two 
size is point is it point one zero and point one nine? Yep. Uh, what? Why would you want one over the other? How would you recommend uh, setting that up? That's. Uh, I mean, that all comes down to personal preference. Um, yeah. And I mean, talking like the assumption that somebody's not using like our site because that is one like one of our claim to fame is I, I truly believe we have one of the brightest sites on the market. Um, yeah. and a reason for that is because we use more fiber optic than anybody else. And I mean, fiber optic is expensive, but, um, so it really, you know, again, it comes down to what are you using it for, um, for hunting. Um, I mean, this is, again, this is my opinion, but for hunting, I think the safe bet is 0. 0.0 is the point zero one nine, the 19,000 because it's a larger fiber optic. It seems to hold light a lot, better than sure. a 10,000. So in those low light situations, you know, when generally is the best hunting, it seems like the, the pin definitely is brighter where a 10,000 uh, pin, it definitely fizzles out a lot earlier. I personally, I run a 10,000 mainly because uh, throughout the summer and stuff, I run a 10,000 for like 3D shoots and stuff like that. Yeah. And mm-hmm. usually by the time hunting season's here, I am like so far behind getting prepped and stuff. And so I literally just, you know, whatever I've been shooting, that's what I, that's what I run with. If it's legal in the state, a sight light is definitely a lifesaver if you're running yep. a 10,000. So, you know, like if it's hunting, if you're strictly a hunter, I would run a 19,000. If you're doing a little bit of both, then, you know, between target and, and, uh, well, I say target, but like 3d and hunting, then I would run 10,000 with a sight light. Okay. Um, you know, it seems like the indoor, like, spot guys, they want the biggest fiber optic they can run, which, unfortunately, you know, we pretty much just offer uh, 19 and a 10,000. But yeah. that's also the beauty of our sites, too, um, is if, let's say, you bought a site with a 19,000 pin and you did want to get a 10,000 pin, you know, all of our scopes are interchangeable. Yeah. Um, you can actually different scopes with different pin sizes and just swap them out um, yeah. when you need to. Yeah, that's... uh. That's interesting. I, I I always was a ten thousandth guy. I feel like just because I shot you, I don't know. My I always thought like I'm shooting way more in the summer and the fall than I'm actually shooting at an animal. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so I just yeah. always I always did the same. I just kept it on. I didn't want to go back and forth too. Yeah. I mean, we definitely. I mean, not that long ago. I mean, I would say like five years ago, we definitely like sold way more nineteen thousandths than ten thousandths. Like ten thousandths still wasn't really a thing yeah um but i would say now like it's literally a 50 50 split okay. uh, between the two and i mean the other thing that's nice about our sites is you know like let's say you got a nineteen thousand, like a nineteen thousand, like during the day like high sun times it's almost overbearing um yeah way too bright so with the rheostat adjustment on our sites you can actually dim down the pin brightness by fiber optics yeah, yeah, but that but that's also a huge benefit when it comes to shooting a ten thousand because you know you can you can expose more fibers and make the ten thousand pin brighter. Yeah, but there does come a time where you know you run out of light and like I said, that ten thousand pin in low light just does not hold light very well. No, um, so that's where a sight light uh, comes in hand. So, um, like I said, it, it, I'm a ten, I shoot a ten thousand, um, but. You know, if if I was just going to pick one, I would. I mean, if I was just primarily hunting, then I would do a 19 and just really use that uh, that rheostat feature. Yeah, Jared, what are you running right now? I have a 19,000. 19, you do? Mm-hmm. Do you have a sight light? Uh, no. Do you want one? Do you have one? Yeah, I got one. You holding out on me? One. I just throw it on my riser to 
help me with my instinctive shooting. No, I've got one in my. I just found one in my box the other day. My archery, my little. That's a good find. Like, uh, box. Very good. Find. Yeah, it was a good find. I was pretty excited about it, and then I thought, I'm gonna tell Jared. Yeah, I'll take it. So you're. So we've got basically a good mix here. Sounds like Scott, you're you know point point one zero, and Jared, you're point one nine. Uh, why did you go with that one, Jared? Why Why didn't you pick a, a smaller diameter? Told the head at the time. I'll probably switch out my um, higher distance pin to a right. uh, 0. .010. Um, that makes sense to me. Just because I like the for the longer distance shot. Like a big I, thing now, too. Yeah. Big thing now with like the multiple pin movers are the, uh, and I mean, we do it, we offer it, is uh, like a custom build where you run 19 at, at the mm-hmm. top because that's your yeah. closest distance. And then your farther distance pins you run as 10, so you're yep. like a 19, 10, 10. Um, that's, that's smart. I mean, that's a big thing now, too. You know, again, me, I would, why wouldn't you just run all the same? Like, if you like 10,000s, why not just run all 10s? But yeah, yeah, I mean, that's definitely another option. Huh? I can see, I can definitely see like the, the rationale behind it. Now, are you got you guys are so you're a big sight light guy. Uh, you guys, you guys bubbles are super important on a site. I feel like something that needs to be probably at least mentioned um, is the importance of like a level on your site. Scott, you yeah. want to just like talk a minute about what, why you, you got to pay attention to that and why that's so important. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it actually, I mean, it, it amazes me how many people like one don't even realize that they have a phone or right. like just for lack of uh, acknowledging that it's there. You know, it, it's one thing like for us here, like in the Midwest, like Wisconsin, Michigan, where it's super flat. Um, yeah. You don't have like a lot of elevation changes and stuff, but it's still important. It's actually, I mean, it's just as important on flat ground because if your bow is canned one way or the other, it, it affects the shot. So yeah. like on a right-handed shooter, if your bow is canned to the left, so inwards, it's going to throw your arrow to the right. If it's canned, you know, backwards, lean back uh, a little bit, it'll throw it to the left. So one, I mean, setting your level to where it's square. So that would be your second axis adjustment. Yeah. Um, that's super important. So basically, I mean, you know that if your level's square, you're no matter what the situation is, whether it's flat side hill or whatever, you know, you're, you're going to be on. Um, I mean, that's like, you know, and that kind of goes back to the whole single pin versus multiple pin, like argument again, like if you're, if you're shooting a multiple pin, now you have three things that you're trying to pay attention to the target, your pin and the level yep. So on a single pin. The very first thing I look at is my level. And then I focus on the target. And if I'm shooting at like a 3d target, like my shot sequence is definitely a little bit longer than if I'm hunting. But, um, like the very first thing I look at is my level. Like I get that square and then, I focus on the target and I'll maybe spot check my level one more time, but I know that if it's level, like I'm good. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, that's, it's, it's no different than, you know, leveling the scope on a rifle or something like that. It's, it's huge. Yeah. Jared, do you use the, uh, level on your bow? Uh, yeah, at least every shot. I don't, <laughs> I try to not get distracted by it too much just because it's just right. one more thing to look at, but yeah, I, I'll look at it. No, I think a lot of it. I think a lot of it's situational too. Because I mean, I think you know the reality is if you're hunting and you have a split second moment, man. Here, I mean, you're just trying to get an arrow in the air, right? You know, versus shooting at a target. But you know, hopefully, if you shoot enough, shooting at a target, like you build that muscle memory, so you kind of know, like mm-hmm. when you're balanced, when you're when your bow is like you know level. When when it does come to you know the heat of the moment, you don't have time to look at it. So, I actually do feel like it's part of my shot sequence, though. Like when I yeah, pull yeah. when I pull back, I'll you know I'll set my anchor point, make sure I'm looking down the peep for my good sight alignment, and then I'll look at the bubble, make sure it's level, 
and then I'll start looking up at the target and just kind of move everything where I need it to go. You half, know what I mean? Half the time it's probably just instinctive. Like yeah. you don't even realize you're doing it. Yep. Jared, when you pull your bow back, do you do you pull it back so you're kind of aiming high and then you kind of go down into your draw? Like you, the bow is kind of pointing up and you pull back. Or are you one of the guys that pulls when your bow is pointing down and then goes up to the target? Uh, well, honestly, with all the with all the people we've talked to on here, always saying, you know, I've been pulling the bow back. And now I have to have uh, soul, <laughs> can't even talk, shoulder, shoulder surgery. Yeah. Um, I've just started looking at how to properly pull a bow back. And I think yeah. it's, it's there's certain there's a certain way to pull your bow back and I don't know if starting up high and then bringing down is proper or if just pulling straight back. So, I guess it's something I am I'm going to be working on this year. I used to be yeah. just kind of a, you know, I was a draw from the bottom and pull up. Right. I would never tuck my head into my elbow and like pull back or Yeah. I've seen some people do that. Or, yeah, like you were saying, you almost are shooting straight up in the air. That was just unsafe. Yeah. You know, what if your release went off? Or like... I have a story. I got a story about that. I don't know if I told it on this podcast or not. I was messing with the tension of a trigger or uh, thumb release. I was in a different state. I'm not going to say which state I was in just in case I'm still liable. But I'm pull, I'm, pull my, I'm messing with the tension, uh, trying to get it nice and light, right? And I'm doing one of those where I'm kind of pulling back and aiming up. And my it's my arrow, my bow went off. It was I put it too light, and it shot. Like I, I'm certain I had to have hit out. Like it went right into a, a, a couple houses. And I'm like, oh shoot! Like I was waiting <laughs> for the sirens to come. No one, I didn't hear any sirens or anything. But I mean, I was I was in a, a suburban neighborhood, and I was pretty terrified for a minute. But yeah, I, I feel like when I was a kid, I got a bow. My first blow was too, the poundage was too high. <laughs> so I got this weird habit of, I, every time I drew, I looked backwards. That I think the first while I had, I was just yanking that thing back. And so for a long time, that was my, that was my thing. Just look like, just still wrenching, even though it wasn't so hard to pull back. But definitely, uh, funny. definitely improved now. It's funny you mention that because, like, when I got into archery, I, I have a younger brother that got into it too, and that's, I mean, for the longest time, that's how he pulled his bones. He would literally, like, turn his head and almost, like, mm-hmm. like his his drawing arm, he'd almost, like, tuck it into his elbow, and it was like he was using his head to help his, like, arm <laughs> pull back. Yeah. He, he, would yeah. Always, he, would, he would always turn his head, like, literally looking straight away from the target to yep. draw his bow. But, I mean, it, you, you brought up, like, a really good point. I mean, cause I remember when I started, one, youth bow options were very limited, especially uh, both my brother and I are, are left-eye dominant, so we shot left-handed. Oh, yeah. It was damn near impossible to find a left-handed youth bow, and um, it sucked for my dad because he could never pass his stuff down to us. He always had to buy us mm-hmm. you know, new bows, but uh, I think we all wound up. We all started drawing way too much weight because you know, if you were going to hunt, you had to meet weight restrictions you know, in order to be legal. But two, it's just bows back then, they just did not have the adjustability like they do now. You know, like, I, I, I don't even know if you could find a bow that was under three pounds. You know, the bow shops always did what they could to try to get the range right. down as well as they could. And I remember several times where the limb bolts were backed out too far and, you know, bolts came flying out of the riser yeah. and bones explode. But, uh, but I, I, you know, that's that's one thing now, I mean, kids nowadays, they have, I mean, their options are just, so extensive compared to you know back then so i i mean we oh, all yeah. started off we all started off way too much pounders 
Yeah, I could honestly yeah. say I had a single pin back in the day because it was a – You did? A, it, no, it was just a single pin on a, a little, like a slider. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. That one yeah, thing little, that's like – it's like dipped in – Yep, dipped in white, and yeah. there you go. It's yeah, like the little tip that – yep. The, I always chip yep. the paint off the end of it. Oh, yeah. Yep. Or you, you're yeah, tightening it. You're tightening it so hard onto that metal bracket that you see the rings on there. If it ever slide down, it's like, oh, yep, my pin's off. You need to slide it back yeah. up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh man, those sites we used back in the day. I mean, Jared and I have been hunting for together for a while. Just are were ridiculous. Like the first deer I, we ever shot, like when we were out together, was the, that morning. I was up in a tree and I found a tree. I just climbed up in way far out came back and I'm, I'm getting ready to, to get down from my tree and drop my bow. So that night we literally taped it yep. to my riser and that night we got mm-hmm. a deer. But it's like looking back on some of the stupid sites we had, like how much different they are from what's out there today. It's, it's pretty crazy mm-hmm. how far the site technology has come in a short amount well, of time. And I, I think it's, I mean, I, I remember the, I mean, so many, I mean, not me personally, but like, I mean, being in hunting camp with my dad, my uncle and all the other guys, like, I mean, you think back then, like, anybody that was successful, like, bow hunting, whether it was, like, a giant buck or not, like, I mean, the skill that it took back yeah. then compared to now, and, like, equipment was not anything like it is now as far as durability. I mean, I, I, oh, yeah. like, I, I, mean, I can remember, like, like, like sight brackets getting just bent the you know crap out of, mm-hmm. and yep. you know at night they'd be there like putting level, you know squares on them trying to now oh, I think that's good enough and you know like I remember the first deer my dad ever killed with his bow he was almost the same thing he was climbing his tree and bow was banging against the tree and was pulling it up and it was a little button buck um, and he shot the thing and uh, literally the arrow went right through the, the temple and uh, oh, really. Yeah, because his sight was all knocked out of whack, and he just started flinging arrows at this thing, and the whole like the whole neck and head looked like a pin cushion. He could not oh. hit the damn thing in the body because oh. his sight was all bent, and he didn't know it. And oh, I, yeah. I remember when, he, and I'll, I mean, I remember he came back, and his quiver was empty, and we're like, "Holy crap, Rambo! Like, what happened?" And he's like, "I don't want to talk about it." And I, I, I pointed, I was like, "What happened to your sight?" And he's like, "Well, that explains it." And he tells us the story, and we went out and it was like, I was, I mean, I was little. I remember looking at this deer and being like, Oh my God, like it was the most like morbid thing I've, I had seen at that time. But, uh, yeah. it's, yeah, it is, it is amazing. And I, I mean, I remember, uh, you know, like the first, it was still really like undurable bracket, but like the first pin where they came out with these little T fiber optic pins that like, I remember that. Yeah. And I remember like everybody's minds just being blown. Like, yeah. what is this technology that just came out? You know, fiber optic, what? Yeah. Like, yeah, it was, uh, it's fun to think. And I'm not even like to if you take this little, you know, plateau where, I mean, there's some cool stuff out there, but it actually takes a lot to, like, get me excited or impress me at this point. It's, it, it's not like it was back then. No, it was, very, it was very, everything was very new now. Although there is the introduction of the, the these digital uh range finding sites mm-hmm. what's your take on that um i think they have sold more sites for us than they probably sold for themselves i think um, um i won't say who but yeah. the, the big the big name that started that whole thing i can honestly say they they did all of us accessory manufacturers 
a huge favor um, because that particular year they introduced that. There, there's never been a year in the last decade where so much attention was put on accessories. Like, yeah, you know, every year it's it's the new bows, it's the new arrows, it's the new broadhead, it's the new, you know, whatever. But there was never a year where it was like, oh, check out all the new. And it just so happened to be a year where a bunch of us site manufacturers came out with new sites. Yeah. So they. That was it. Was awesome that they did it. I, I'm not a fan of them personally. Um, anything electronic, it's just like it's going to fail. Like it's it's electronic. Is it bad? Is it, it's not fail. like a. It's not an ethical thing for you. It's just you don't trust the battery. Is that right? Uh both. A little bit of both. Hmm. Okay. Um, yeah, a little bit of both. I mean, I've I've used them. I've tried them, and I think they're pretty cool. Like you know, if I was a new archer and you know I knew nothing about like archery or whatever, I was just looking for the coolest, you know, looking to spend a crap load of money. Like I'd, yeah. Yeah, I'd buy one, but I right. mean, I just, nah, I mean, I, I'm a, man, I, I like my, you know, I like my machine aluminum, like gears and, you know, stuff that I know, like is foolproof. Well, right? if, it, if it's the same one I'm thinking about, that thing is heavy. Yeah. You, yeah. It's the, uh, you, you shot one for a little while. That, I mean, it was, that was heavy. That's a heavy sight. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it just, you know, I, I don't know how to say. Well, screw it, I'll say it. I don't care. Um, I think it's it's a lazy, it's a it's a lazy way out. You know what I mean? Okay. Like, and that's one thing that I I will say it annoys me is how many people like when we explained to them, you know, that they had one of our sites and then they got a new bow and they're like, yeah, so now do I have to recite in? It's like, yeah, you're shooting a whole new system. Of right. course, you're gonna have to recite it in, and they're just like baffled. And I'm like, oh wait, you have to shoot your bow? Yeah, that sucks, dude. Well, like, I can't. I can't just give it to a guy and have him do it for me. Yeah, exactly. Like, take twenty minutes and recite it in, dude. Like, it, that's one thing I just, I like, I lose my patience with. Is I get it. Like, you know, everybody's busy and like, you know, yeah. three times one But dude, twenty minutes, you can have our sites recited in. So, well, and and it's like, too. I, I mean, jacket. you should you should be doing it because you like to you like to shoot your bow. Well, I mean, and and it's it's whether you're a bow hunter or a gun hunter, it's your damn responsibility <laughs> like no like it's well, your response it's your responsibility as a hunter to be as proficient with your weapon as possible so you being lazy and not wanting to shoot your gun bow whatever it is like then find a different sport right go play go play tennis or something i don't know maybe golf jared jared's a pretty good golfer i golf man no i, I love golfing I, thank you that's, that's number two uh, yeah, that's 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 my. I suck. I'm, I suck at it, but I mean, I, I respect golf because it's it's like archery. Like it's something that you have to do repetitively in mm-hmm. order to be good. You know what I mean? Like I'm, you can't just I'll pick up a club and like, expect to hit par. No, no, no. I, I, mean, I like, actually do. I pick up a club and a beer, and I I, I golf like, and I go with Jared like seven hole and end up drinking a lot. On the golf course. Yeah, that, that my version you have of golf. never you have never come golfing with me. Maybe back in, during to, like maybe during college. Back in that was the last time I ever golfed. I since then I, you guys get all serious about it. You do these like weekend romantic getaways, golfing you and your golf buddies. Um, uh, man, and I'm bath? just not down. Yeah, so you, yeah. That's but like golfing though. Like that's I mean, if you're serious about golfing, you have you have two different two groups of guys that you golf with. You have mm-hmm. your serious guys where like you're the first ones on the course, like first six thirty AM <laughs> tea time on a Saturday morning. Yes. And you're yeah. literally like trying to play the best golf you can. And then maybe putting a little maybe putting a little bet on it. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. or maybe playing on like a little scramble or, mm-hmm. or whatever. But and then you have your other group of guys where literally you just want to get hammered, drive a golf cart, getting shitty, golf cart drunk, and lose as many balls as you can. Like, yeah, I mean, there's definitely two different groups. I'm I can do the second group pretty well, so. <laughs> Yes, I probably can. I probably fit in more with that group more than I do the other group. Like <laughs> I, I tried I try to split my time between both. Yeah. I like spending group with the second, the uh, second set of group people because yeah. then I look like I'm really good at golf in front of everyone. Oh yeah. Even though I'm, I'm oh, yeah. sucking for the day, Jared it's like, dude, how do you hit it like that? Yeah, yeah. Jared, in my view, because that's the only person I golf with, is one of the best golfers in existence right now. Because as far as I know. Well, you know, that's like the, as good as good. So, well, Scott, uh, thanks again for, for coming on. I, I we're up on I'm coming up on time here. So before we go, you want to tell people that are listening uh, where they can find out more about HHA, about you, um, your videos and things like that. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously, uh, you know, the social media channels are on uh, Facebook, Instagram, uh, all that stuff. So, um, definitely check us out there follow us if you're not already otherwise uh all of our information can be found on our website um which is just hhasports.com and then uh, i mean my favorite way is if you have questions just uh, give us a holler at the office and uh either get myself or one of our other techs and uh, we'd be more than happy to talk hunting and play with, with whoever awesome awesome well thanks for the time and yeah we gotta check them out thanks again scott we'll talk to you soon sounds good guys thank you Thank you for listening to this episode of the Boga Hunting Podcast. If you guys like what you hear and want to follow along on what we're currently up to, hit that subscribe button on whatever platform you're listening on. Follow us on Instagram at Boga Hunting. Join us next week, and we'll see you then.